This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Our interviews, you know, 60% of them are happening on Saturdays and Sundays. Why? Because if you're an engineer in the market, that's when you want to interview. That's not when the company tells you to interview, but that's actually when you're available. We give every candidate a no questions asked redo, which is, hey, don't feel like you did a good job in your interview. We'll give you a new interview, a new set of questions, and we'll give you a second chance. What leads to successful technical job interviews? Interviewing takes a ton of time, and the reality is engineers often can be more productive for their companies if they weren't needed for so many technical assessments. Our guest today, Mo Bendy, is the co-founder and CEO of Carrot, and he's dedicated to ensuring software engineering candidates have multiple chances to ace their interviews while helping companies find these engineers without taking their developers off their existing projects. Listen in to learn how Mo's background as a hiring executive at Microsoft has driven him to improve the technical interviewing process. He also shares how Carrot's engaging new partnerships, like working alongside Serena Williams to help impact economic equality, and helping more black software engineers break into the industry through its Brilliant Black Minds program. Enjoy this episode. Mo, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be here. Thanks, Albert. Hey, listen, we're psyched to have you. You work in a sector that is very hot, uh, the world of interviewing and hiring. But before we talk about your business, let's get to know you a little better. It's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Mo, this is where we ask you non-work-related questions so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Let's do it. All right. What's the number one thing you enjoy doing outside of work? I love skiing. When's the last time you got to go ski? Uh, Not enough this season, but I went with my family to Mount Bachelor in Oregon uh, for spring break. Okay. As a skier, would you consider yourself good? Like, what are we talking about? We talking about, are you a a blue? Are you a black diamond? Are you a double black diamond? Like, where are you on the spectrum of of, of runs? I'm I'm a double black diamond skier, but I am not, uh, I'm not crazy cliff jumping. You know, Uh, every time I go skiing, I'm politely reminded by both my co-founder and my wife that, you know, I have a family to run and a company to run. So uh, I, let's put it this way. I, I, I enjoy this sport, but I take it in a, in a measured way. Hey, listen, if you're going out of black, double black diamond, you're still doing a lot. Uh, I remember one time my friend encouraged me to go down one. I think I, I basically fell down in mountains, but I'm glad I'm here. Sounds about right. <laughs> how, many, how long have you been doing that? Uh, for skiing? Yeah. Uh, you know, my dad started with me ages ago. Uh, he immigrated from India. There's obviously no skiing in India. Hard to snow in the heat, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he took it upon himself. I was a seven-year-old kid in Pittsburgh and my dad was, I don't know, 40-ish, 41, 42 at the time. And he just took it upon himself and started skiing with me, which is amazing. Real testament to him that he was willing to kind of learn some new crazy skills, even uh, midlife. So yeah, I started uh, at the age of seven in Pittsburgh where you learn how to ski the man-made or kind of human-made snow, uh, and it's all ice. So I am a professional skier uh, for for, uh, anything with ice and terrible conditions. Did you learn to drive in Pittsburgh? Yeah, of course. Okay, for anyone who doesn't know, Pittsburgh's one of the hilliest, steepest, most weird infrastructure places. I mean, when I've been there, I was like, man, when I went there, I was like, wow, it would be tough to learn how to drive here. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, look, I, I learned in the high school parking lot with my dad with cones, as we all played it. But, uh, but yeah, it, it is a pretty gnarly place to, to be driving. 
Well, Mo, we're pumped to have you here. You are the co-founder and CEO of Carrot, and you guys work in an interesting field. You say you guys are the pioneers of what type of technology? The interviewing cloud. The interviewing cloud. What is the interviewing cloud? Uh, really simple. So Albert, I'll give you kind of why we exist and then what the interviewing cloud does. So why we exist, uh, there's simply not enough engineers in the world. Every company has become or is becoming a software company. And the value of engineering time is like literally growing every single day. And in this constrained world, there's just not enough engineers to interview the engineers of the future. So there's a gap. We call it the interview gap. And so that's where the interviewing cloud comes in. Uh, we've basically built a global network of software engineers who we've equipped to be professional interviewers. And we conduct all of the technical interviews for a wide range of companies now, uh, companies ranging from Walmart and Roblox to a Coinbase to American Express. And so companies go and find the job candidates and our interview engineers interview them 24-7 virtually. And then we're, you know, we play a really important role in the connection point between the candidate and, and the ultimate job. Okay. This sound, um, I feel, you know, when you hear a solution, you're like, oh, that's so obvious. I don't know why didn't anyone think of this earlier. Now, I'm like, dude, I used to work at a software company. It was very difficult to schedule interviews. You hit it. You hit the nail on the head. Our engineers, their time was super valuable. We didn't have time for them to meet like a hundred candidates or whatever the number of candidates. So it ended up becoming like, hey, you just recommend or pull your friend from that, you know, from another company. And we kind of like made our like, you know, engineers recruit other people, but it's that solution seems so clear. Now that I've heard it, tell me, how did you think of this? Because I don't understand why we never thought, we never thought this was an option. Like when we were building a software company, I never, I never even asked myself, like, why isn't there <laughs> this service? But now that I hear it, it's awesome. Well, totally. I mean, like, look, part of this is just the time, right? I mean, before AWS pioneered the cloud, right? And this idea of storing data, it was never on anyone's mind. Everyone was just going and building their own data centers. And then, you know, they came in and disrupted it. And so sometimes, you know, it was a fairly obvious idea, I guess, to make interviewing a job, but a very hard idea because if you think about our business, there's all kinds of things that go into it. Absolutely. Uh, the way that the, the company came around is really practical. I was trying, I was one of the uh, the heads of product strategy at Xbox. So gaming at Microsoft, I was trying to hire almost 400 engineers into my division. Wow. And every single pain point that we're designed to solve just faced head on, like the pain points you experienced at your company, Albert. And at the same time, my co-founder, Jeff, uh, was uh, the chief of staff to Melinda Gates at the Gates Foundation. And he was studying things like diversity, equity, inclusion, the industry. Why is it that people just keep hiring their friends, right? Why is it that only 5% of engineers in the industry are black, right? Which is not acceptable if we're trying to build a representative culture and representative society. So we kind of came at this together and said, okay, let's actually pioneer this concept of making interviewing a job, running it as a cloud service. And I think there's the other side of this too, Albert, for, for candidates, look, there's not enough talent in the market to go around. And so candidates are the customers and you actually have to interview as a company, the candidate when they want to be interviewed. So our interviews, you know, 60% of them are happening on Saturdays and Sundays. Why? Wow. Because if you're an engineer in the market, that's when you want to interview. You know, that's not when the company tells you to interview, but that's actually when you're available. We give every candidate no questions asked redo, which is, hey, don't feel like you did a good job in your interview. We'll give you a new, new interview, a new set of questions, and we'll give you a second chance. Every company should be doing that. But again, in a world with finite engineering time, it's really hard for companies to kind of do that. So we kind of broke the mold on that equation and said, great, let's create the most customer-friendly version of an interview for a candidate. 
and deploy that at scale for companies. Yeah, walk me back to that moment where you said, like, this is the path we're going to go down. It sounds like you were you said it yourself, you working at Xbox, you had to bring on 400 engineers. You didn't have the time to interview it yourself. What was that aha moment? You're like, man, I just wish there was another group to vet these candidates for me. It was chatting with our recruiting partners. Yeah. Uh, there was a amazing partner of ours. Uh, I think she's now at Stitch Fix. Denise uh, was our recruiting partner uh, at, uh, at Xbox. And I just remember sitting down with her and basically realizing that the only constraint was not the amount of recruiters or LinkedIn tools or sourcing tools or whatever that they had. It was literally my own team's time and organization's time to interview and to move fast enough, right? And so I think that was one part of the aha. I think the second one was realizing and speaking with a bunch of colleagues that just because you're a good engineer doesn't mean you actually like to interview engineers or are any good at it. That's right. right? And so um, yeah, I think it was at a Microsoft cafeteria lunch kind of thing where we were just going around and I could tell that 80% of the like sorrows of the day had to do with, well, you know, I wasn't able to ship code today. I didn't have enough maker time because I was so fixated doing all these interviews and half the candidates didn't meet our bar, which was really demoralizing. And so I think those were some of the ahas. And then it all came together because my co-founder and I, who he also, he snowboards and I ski, we were at a ski mountain crystal. We must have talked about ideas the entire mountain and then I was relaying this, he was relaying his experiences, and it happened somewhere on, I think, Chair 6, Crystal Mountain, Washington, where we came up with the concept. Hey, listen, a lot of great ideas have happened while being outside. When you you came to that conclusion, I guess, still, this is a very labor-intense, what you guys do, especially at the beginning, it was very labor-intensive, right? Because now, yeah. if you go down this path, now the question is, or did you and your co-founder, did you guys do the first wave of technical interviews? Like, How many did you have to do before you realized, I can scale this in some way? Because it sounds very difficult to scale at first. Give us an idea of how you started building that that infrastructure out that could take that many people. Yeah, and our business has uh, aspects of Amazon fulfillment or FedEx <laughs> paired with cloud, paired with like infrastructure. So this is not a business for the faint of heart because it's not just a yeah. play, let's go create some software and have some folks sell it, right? This is a 24-7 yeah. service and you have to be committed to the service because the operational metrics and the candidate experience every day, that's kind of what ultimately drives speed and consistency. Um, look, we built it by actually going and selling it first. I'm a big believer as an entrepreneur that you know the way you find product market fit uh, there's some set of products where you actually have to go spend 10 years in development to then go sell something, right? If you're making a new yeah. car or, I don't know, making a new rocket like SpaceX. This is the type of business where if you did that, you could spend two years pontificating but not solving the customer need. And so we actually went and found early customers. Intuit was our first customer ever, and they're still very much a customer today. And I remember it was, I think, Rick Jensen at the time, he was their global head of talent. And he said, hey, Mo, this sounds like a totally new business model. I'm going to bet on you guys and I'm going to bet on this business model. Now, can you make it work? <laughs> and so I remember we, um, it was $15,000 worth of interviews. And we felt, you know, we were on kind of, we were on like a, a high mission, right? To be like, oh my God, we got into it to do that. But honestly, we went and found interviewers then, right, Albert? So it wasn't me and Jeff doing the interviews. We created the systems and the questions and all the things that have now become what we do today, which is as a platform company, you know, we create all of that content. But we actually did go and find interviewers and convince them of this idea and said, hey, there's going to be a job in the future and it's going to be called interview engineering. And so these were back-end engineers, mobile engineers, front-end engineers. And they're like, oh, okay, could I be an interview engineer? And I went and personally called them, sold them on the opportunity. 
And then we made that market. Uh, but Carrot is the glue. You know, we're the company that, again, defines the questions, the interview formats, the scoring, um, and we bring that all together. Yeah. Now, the, this is that part that you talked about where I guess that's really where the founders um, ambition plays the biggest role is like, go, like you said, going to find those interview engineers, because I would assume there are not many. Um, but that's just me. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't making those phone calls. Well, because the, the, the jobs never existed before, we take engineers who could be all kinds of engineers and we make yeah. them great interviewers. And so, look, this job never existed before Carrot. We made it. And I think part of it is we had to convince, you know, three sides of the market. We had to convince the company. So we got into it going. Then we found our first interviewers. But then that's still not enough. You then have to go convince candidates that this is a better experience. Yeah. And so this you can't just solve for any one party. This is kind of a three party marketplace, if you will. Yeah. Talk about how technology starts helping you scale and turn it into like a business because you guys have gone through, we did a little homework. You guys have a unicorn valuation. Um, you know, lots of people are investing in you and your success. You've clearly found something that on the technological side can scale it too. Because now when I'm listening to you, it's like on the surface, I hear to myself, hey, interviews are always one to one. So you're not selling courses. You can't have one person interview a thousand people, right? So at least it thinks that I think that way, right? So on the surface, from what I understand, it doesn't seem like, you know, that that labor portion scales, but you guys have clearly figured out something like a methodology, a process, something. Talk about how technology changes the game for what you guys have now built. Yeah. I mean, look, we've built an incredible amount of tech to enable the interviewer and the interview engineer. Everything from, you know, how notes are taken to how questions are asked to making the interviews adaptive. Nice. And so that's why we've raised, you know, the money we've raised, because we've actually built a lot of tech in how the interview actually gets conducted itself. And that is single-handedly, Albert, the thing that has enabled us to scale, right? I think if we were building this tech, hoping that a third party was using it, we wouldn't have arrived at the level of efficiency. You know, when you run a first-party service, that's a very different level of intimacy that you have with your end user than when you're running, you know, when you're a tools company, which is the majority of software companies or the majority of things that I saw in this space. I was like, okay, another tool, another tool, another code test, whatever. Yeah. Right. They're all kind of very rinse and repeat. And I just said, okay, we need to actually take a very different angle here. And so that tech has been the scalability. Um, the other aspect is, look, we're amassing the world's largest data set on engineers out there with depth. There you go. And so the data that Carrot is amassing that I don't think we would have gotten even close to it had we taken a tooling or testing approach. Um, the interview is a very intimate exercise, right? If you think about it, we're engaging with a candidate for a full hour over video, just like this podcast. You get to know someone at a level and a level of depth that no test would ever accomplish. And so... I think just that mentality of how we can build tech around that has really enabled us to, to scale. Yeah. You know, when, when I first heard this, when I first started doing the homework on Carrot and I started thinking to myself, I started thinking back to my time in, in sales. And when the first sales recording tools started coming about, 
like a like a gong, like a sales loft, and you heard them. You're like, oh, that's like on the surface, that's nice. It takes notes for you, but it wasn't until they started adding and uncovering information across your whole sales arm where it became really interesting. Where you could understand, like, hey, when sales reps do this sequence, they're more likely to close. When you started getting that data and analytics of like conversation flow, where you could start understanding, like, hey, I should train people to talk like this. I gotta ask, what? Because you've probably uncovered things like this. What have what has the data started to help uncover for you later? It's like really fascinating about, you know, whether it's engineers, talent, people, uh, capabilities. Has you have you learned anything that you were like, wow, like I would not have assumed that previously? I think we've learned all kinds of things. I mean, we've learned things at an individual level, we've learned things at a societal level, right? So societally, look, the data is very clear that only five percent of the engineers in the industry are black, but going one layer deeper. We've learned that less than half of uh, the black engineering population even has access to practice interviews before they want their dream job. So the Albert, that's like going into your really? dream job saying, this is my first interview. That's really hard to get. So that's just one example of data, which is more structural and systematic related to kind of how the tech industry works. And now we're doing something about it, right? A couple of weeks ago, we announced that Serena Williams is getting involved with our company Saw that. Uh, through an initiative called Brilliant Black Minds, where our aim is to double the number of black engineers in tech. So I think one example of the data is that at that level. I think a second example is, look, because we interview everyone for everybody, right? And, and we're everywhere. We have a level of understanding of, well, how, you know, what's the bar of engineers in one specific investment bank versus a tech firm? versus in Malaysia, versus China, hmm. versus India, right? We've done tens of thousands of interviews in India, right? So I can, there's a level of precision of the talent market that only Carrot has because of the scale at which we operate, but also the depth of assessment that we undertake, which is, you know, significantly deeper than the traditional testing models and interviewing models. Yeah, pretty fascinating. There's two topics already I want to talk more about, like the for sure the diversity topic in addition to the international one. So I'm just saying that so I have declare record so people know what we're going to go in sequence. Sure. You know, you mentioned before that you wanted to you wanted to do something about it. You mentioned like black engineers oftentimes are significantly less likely to have had interview opportunities prior to their first interview, which is uh, it makes sense. The question I have is like, what can what could a platform like yours do about it? Because a lot a lot of people's thought process, even mine, you know. If I'm not new to the subject, I would assume, but that stuff, like that knowledge, the education experience, that happens outside of the interview. You know what I mean? Like that's already obtained. By the time I do interview, whatever I got, I got. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for me to think how an interview company could say like, oh, I'm actually going to go back in time almost because you have to be back. You got to be involved with me earlier in the process in order to, like you said, give me more at-bats, more experience, whatever the case may be. Tell us how you're thinking about how Carrot can change the trajectory of that, how of um, that stat you mentioned earlier. Yeah, look, I think that there's on, on the path to doubling the number of black engineers in tech, there's a lot of things that have to go right to yeah. do that. And for what it's worth, Serena's already pushing me and my team to say, why isn't it tripling? Because, you know, she is the GOAT, so she's going to just demand more. And that's her role. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I would say, um, look, there's a lot of things that have to happen starting from early elementary through access, through mobility. But I think at the the data was really clear that actually there are a lot of black engineers who have had four-year degrees in computer science or requisite skills. But if you don't know how to bring that all together into how to 
portray yourself and solve a problem in a time pressured way in an interview, then really what we're doing is helping these engineers bring all the pieces together so that they can show up as the best version of themselves. We're also giving feedback. So these aren't just practice interviews at scale. After every interview, a program, a participant in Brilliant Black Minds actually gets feedback on, you know, what could have they learned better? You know, what could they do next, right? Um, How could they improve their interview performance? We've learned something really specific that when an engineer goes through three practice interviews, they're six times more likely to get a job. Okay, there you go. And so the moment we learned that, that's why we got Serena involved and why we're scaling it. And we're like, okay, great. Practice does make progress. And so, you know, I think that that, Albert, that singular data point, the, the power of three, uh, yeah. as, as she'll say, there's three sets to win a, uh, you know, a match in tennis. There's three interviews to change your life. Um, we got to get more engineers doing at least three practice interviews. Oh, that is awesome. And for the, uh, the hirers, the people that are actually recruiting people, the companies, yes. do they ever ask you like how many times is a person practice interviewed or do they just want to know who my best candidates are? Uh, no, they, I mean, because the way the business model works is they will have sent us candidates, right? Our core business model is the recruiter would have sent us a hundred candidates. We interview them and we tell them here's the 10. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Right. And so we're not a sourcing company. We are the interviewing company. And so, no, they don't, they don't think about that. They're thinking about the here and now of, if we were interviewing you, Albert, you know, do you have the requisite skills and readiness to take the job? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That clarifies. And sorry if I'm asking questions that, you know, that hopefully everyone who's listening is hearing this and like, oh, learning something as well. Totally. Hopefully they're not saying, man, Albert's the only person that doesn't know how this works. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's a new business model. So just to be clear about it, companies go and find the candidates. Yep. And let's suppose Walmart comes to us or another client, uh, you know, Roblox, uh, Visa, Robinhood, right? They'll come and say, hey, Carrot, we have a thousand engineers we've recruited. We're the company that then says, hey, of those thousand engineers, here's the hundred or 200 who are the most qualified for the job. And then we streamline the entire interviewing and hiring process, both in service of the company because they're saving a massive amount of developer time, but also in service of the candidate uh, because they're hopefully getting to the right job faster through Carrot and through a you know predictive, fair and enjoyable interview, which is our mission statement. No, and that makes total sense. I'm curious from you know from where you sit. Of course, you you your customer base is growing. The amount of candidates you're interviewing all the time is growing. Give us an idea of how many people you guys are interviewing like in a month now. Uh, tens of thousands now. So yeah, it's, tens of thousands. Yeah, it's grown quite a bit. Yeah, so we're yeah we are. I think by any calculation, we are on path. Well, we're the world's largest private interviewing company, but we believe we'll be interviewing more engineers than Amazon or Google easily by the end of the year. That's insane. What percentage of these people are international or, or are they all American uh, workers? Well, no, no. Uh, well, the world of talent has changed, right? So post-COVID, um, people are everywhere and anywhere, which is kind of amazing. Um, and so we've, we've naturally seen an increase. I'm like, look, our service is global and 24-7. I'd say over a third of the candidates right now, at a, it's a broad brush or high level outside the U.S., but that's increasing pretty quickly. And so it is a yeah. global it is a global service. And so, look, we have some large clients, Japanese clients who use us. We have some large clients based in Singapore and Korea who use us, right? And so uh, we just have to be prepared at all time zones to be able to service those markets. Uh, again, very much back to your... Amazon fulfillment or FedEx uh, type analogy, yeah. you got to be able to ship that package from anywhere. We have to be able to delight the candidate 
please the candidate and interview when they want to be interviewed. Because again, the candidates are the ultimate customer in a market where the uh, you know there's just not enough talent. You've got to have a service that is highly candidate responsive. Um, and so that's been kind of a critical tenant of our business model. Yeah. And for our listeners, I want to put a couple pieces together for you why I asked that is because Garrett's got a unique position. They only interview people that companies are already bringing to them. So this gives Mo and his team a really unique perspective on what the demands are, what companies are wanting from talent around the around the world, as you suggested. You know, I guess it, it, at first it started as, hey, some companies are going to go fully remote and they're going to be okay with it. Yeah. Then other companies are like, hey, I might get on board, right? But now, especially since engineering talent is such at such a premium, we already hit at that at the very beginning. Have you seen more and more companies just bring, they're, they're just flat out bringing you candidates international to them. It doesn't matter. Like they're bringing the best candidates available. Are they, are like, would you say like the hiring windows, borders or whatever you want to call them have completely opened up when it comes to engineering now? Because for a long time, it's been talked about where there are certain companies that were more progressive than others. But now because of the fact that the tooling is here to make it easier, policies here to change, and now you have a tool that helps vet all these people. I mean, now it makes it seems like it's even easier to hire truly the best engineer possible. If I'm if I'm a company sitting here, I can get the best engineer possible. It doesn't matter where they are. Yeah. Um, it seems more possible than ever, but I don't know if people are jumping on the train. I think we're seeing more. I think what you're seeing is, you know, companies used to have, hey, every engineer, think about Microsoft, every engineer is in Redmond. Then there was hubs and spokes, right? Which is okay, we have a dev center in in Hangzhou in China and another dev center in Bangalore. Yeah. Right. But I think that hub spoke model, right? If there was a singular hub and then it moved to hubs and spokes, now it's moving, I think, to just straight up distributed. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think we see our customers, frankly, at all stages and sizes of that curve. And, you know, we've actually been trying to ask is there some rhyme or reason? Like, are the big companies naturally more distributed because they can do it? And small companies all want to be in the same garage together. <laughs> We're not even seeing that per se. Um, I do think that there's some patterns by industry, like we've seen more of the fintech companies be distributed uh, than others. But I think uh, you're seeing companies, I mean, look, I think even Airbnb, they were all going to go in the office. Now they're not coming to the office, right? right? So I think that's all pretty fluid, honestly, Albert, by company. Um, And it's a little early to tell if it is there some specific industry cohorts that are moving faster? I think it's more management or founder dependent, to be very frank, at this current stage. Uh, but at a macro, definitely the directional shift is towards a distributed model, which actually makes a service like Carrot even more critical because one of the big challenges when you are running a distributed model is how do you ensure consistency yeah. and quality at scale? It's different, right, Albert? Where back in the day, you and I show up at the same office where they're all the time, all the time together, you know, it was trust through sight and trust through like <laughs> now it's trust through trust and just believing that the system works. And so I do think companies are now up and down from how they hire to how they onboard to how they develop. There's going to be an increased demand for just consistency and data to ensure that, you know, there are people who are everywhere are the best people they could find and that they're most well set up for success. I don't think we can take that for granted anymore. Yeah. And I got to ask a question though, when you when you think of like your company and your business model as you move forward into the future, your market's huge, right? Obviously engineering, like you said, every company is going to be a software company. There's going to be more engineers than ever. But do you ever see like your interview pool expanding? Like will you start, do you ever see yourself interviewing people that uh, maybe 
for example, like mechanical engineering talent? Our sales or recruiting? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, when we started the company, Jeff and I initially thought we were going to do this for machining. And so I spent a lot of time in the Boeing machine <laughs> factory studying everything about machining. And I think it was my wife or some, a friend who told me, oh, you don't know a lot about machining, but you know a lot about software. Okay, got it. So start in software. <laughs> a high-level Albert, and this is not to say that we're making these moves right now, but there is a reason why we named the company Carrot and not interviewengineersbetter.com or whatever it is, right? Because Carrot is a unit of measurement for talent. Um, the Carrot standard, right? Uh, diamond Carrot, Gold Carrot, we're the unit for companies and for talent. Uh, I think in the end state, our business model, which is professionalizing interviewing yeah. and making interviewing a job, like at that macro level, that business model is above and beyond a specific field like developers. We will be taking this business model globally and across a variety of professions over time in the end state. Um, the interviewing cloud is not just a technical development cloud. It's going to be a sales cloud uh, a recruiting cloud, whatever it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I think so. I mean, I think the way companies right now want the best, right? And the fact that they can truly, for the first time in 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 the history of work, you truly can access the like you can provide the tool. There's the tooling is there to work with the best in your field. Yeah, and so it does make sense that more and more demand will be there to find, like you suggested, the best in fields, right? So whether it's mechanical engineering whether it's machining, whether it's sales, whether it's leadership, yeah. every organization is going to want the best version of that. Yeah. And I also think the world, because talent is the ultimate constraint to, to progress for a lot of companies, I think, look, our business is a specialized business, right? The whole idea is why are your own people interviewing? Why, why don't they just perfect their skills in software engineering and maybe in the future that's sales or finance and let us do the interviewing, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think what you're seeing is the, the world is also moving to more just specialization of labor and specialization of talent. Um, I think that's an inevitable, right? Uh, I don't know, I studied economics back in the day. This is like Adam Smith and the invisible hand, like coming into work, right? Like I think specialized labor, yeah. it's been happening since the industrial revolution and it's gonna keep happening. And so I think we are riding that macro trend of creating interviewing as work. Yeah. What are some of the things like you would, you would um that you've uncovered on the interview side. I'm curious, because we've kind of talked about on the candidate side, we've talked about from the business side. Right. What about, as what have you uncovered for interviewing in general? Because this is a piece of business that every company has. Every company has to interview candidates. Everyone wants to get better at it. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like you're given this pamphlet. I remember, I'm, I'm dating myself, but I was given like a pamphlet, like your guide to behavior interviewing. And you were supposed to read it and try to understand right. the questions. You were given maybe like a uh, like a punch list of questions that you're like, hey, you should evaluate the canon on only these 10 questions and nothing else. What have you, what have you uncovered on your side to make interviewing more efficient, um, to make it more effective? I know not everyone's going to have access to the same tooling and stuff that you have, but right. I'm curious because you see so much data, you see so many interviews. What have you learned from on the skill of interviewing that maybe uh, everyone could learn from? Or <laughs> yeah, look, I think it comes back to our mission statement. Our mission is to make every interview in the world predictive, fair, and enjoyable. So I can just give you a lesson per per term, right? <laughs> yeah. So on the uh, well, I'll just start in the reverse on the enjoyability side. Knowing how to put candidates at ease is really important. Like we are now working with professors, two professors who wrote the book Humor Seriously. It's all about how to bring humor into business, into life. 
you know, and so we are productizing humor into the interview. It actually really does matter, right? You will get better performance from candidates if they don't, you know, the interviewing, just think about Albert, it's a highly, you and I have been through interviews, we've all been through interviews, they're highly stressful tryout type situations. And so you don't want to confuse the ultimate signal you're getting with the candidate. And so just knowing how to put candidates at ease and preparing them for what to expect hypercritical. So that's number one. On the fairness side, we've learned that it's really important to separate the human from the ultimate score, right? So our interviewers aren't there uh, scoring the candidates or telling the companies what to do. They are focused on doing their job, which is to you know highlight the candidate's strengths and conduct a great interview. It's our technology that is then determining is that candidate a good fit for a company. And so I think a lot of companies make that mistake where if you think about it, they're single-threaded. They depend on the interviewer to come up with the questions, deliver the interview, and yeah. give the ultimate judgment. That's a lot to ask a person, and there's a lot of human error that can come into that. And then finally, on prediction, yeah. you know, look, we battle test the heck out of all of our interview questions, right? And most companies don't do that. Most companies just, hey, Albert, interview me. Okay, what question do you feel like asking me? <laughs> the question is actually really critical. And so we have a whole team of IO psychologists, scientists, question developers who not only come up with questions, but actually test them for validity, test them for fairness, test them for, is this actually going to be predictive of someone's job skills and job potential? And so, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to this, that if you're looking to make interviews better, just use that trifecta word of the enjoyability, the fairness, and the prediction. Those are the three things, whether it's cared or not. That I think any company, at least sit, walk, hearing this, should seek out of their interviews, and frankly, that every candidate should demand. Oh, every candidate should demand. I never thought about that. Yes, that is the world we are creating. The world we are creating is not to be another GRE, GMAT. Nothing against the GMAT or GRE. I don't have to take those, right? But yeah, I took them. <laughs> yeah, but like, look, I think again back to candidate thinking of candidates as customers. We at at, at Carrot, we think about. How do we make the care interview just so much better than the status quo of the private cloud of interviewing, which is do it yourself um, or these testing tools and other things? How do we make it exponentially better such that candidates would say, I'm never going back? Yeah, I'm never taking another test. I'm never getting doing my first rounds of interviews with a company. I want to be care interviewed, period. Yeah. The thing you hit on there, which was, you know, ultimately, what's what's the what's the point of the company, or what's the point of the process, right? The point of the process is always to find the absolute best in that person's field or whatever field you're looking for, right? So, it doesn't help that, yeah, you're you're right. Interviews are contentious, where it's like, am I really at the mercy of the fact that how I'm like vibing with the person that day? That's right. It has nothing to do with my skills, or like you kind of hit on the other one. The other thing that I learned about interviewees, we started noticing this, is that candidates that interviewed late in the afternoon were much less likely to be offered. And we're like, why is that? It's like, because people are tired. They're, they're, they've already like mentally like checked out. We, we saw this in our own company. We're like, oh, we got to stop that. Like that, that can't be. Your interviewers probably want to interview because they've done their mental thinking work in the morning. Yeah. Right. So if you think about it, there's a mismatch there between the candidate and the hiring manager because they're both engineers. They're both developers. They probably both do their best work roughly around similar times. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, that's it. But look, we're a 24-7 service. If you want to do your interview in the U.S. at 3 in the morning, there's someone to interview you yeah. because they're just on a different time zone. Um, so it really, I think you're right, um, optimizing the time. And I think candidates learn over time. Like because we offer every candidate no questions asked redo, we will give them input on, was that a good time? You know, you pick one in the morning. 
right? <laughs> like, should you interview at 10? Um, and so, or 10, 10 a.m. And so I do think, uh, I do think that there's some, you know, uh, because most interviewing is very constrained by the time the company is available, I do think that that has a structural impact on candidate performance. Well, Mo, I appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries. Man, there's no question you have dove into a space that is really, I mean, it's limitless in addressable market, right? Everybody wants the best person possible. Everyone that's interviewing for a job wants the best experience possible. No one wants us to get any harder. And you've already said it. There's more people looking or looking for work to satisfy for work. I don't know what the reason for the, you know, the great resignation is. It's probably a level of dissatisfaction. An opportunity. And uh, there's also the third layer, which is like uh, there's the demand for skills and the actual available skills is mismatched too. So it's like, it's just ultra competitive right now to find the right best people for companies. And you've certainly entered a category at, I mean, it is, it is hot. I, I mean, the way you describe this, I could see it going into, like you said, all the different verticals. Thank you, Albert. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think you're right. Look, engineering time gets more valuable every single day, literally every day, because the demand is just completely outstripping supply of talent. And so I think that, you know, that's why we exist. There you go. If you're listening to IT Visionaries and you want to meet Mo and his team, well, I don't know if you'll get to meet Mo directly, but you'll check them out at, that's K-A-R-A-T, not carrot. If you've just tuning in, and where it's not, we're not talking about the vegetable. It is K-A-R-A-T dot com. Technical interviewing use cases, resources. They got all kinds of links there for everyone to check it out. They got the new campaign going with Serena Williams, Breaking Barriers and Change the Game. We appreciate you being on the show. It was pretty awesome hearing what you guys uh, went after. And uh, like I said, it's like when you started describing, it's like this is such a clearly obvious solution, but. Now that I know how hard it is, yeah, I can see why only a handful of people, like it sounds like only you decided to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy idea to execute. It's all about the execution. There it is. Yeah.